FrameBridge makes it super easy and affordable to frame your favorite things, from art prints and posters to the travel photos sitting on your phone. Go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code AMR to save an additional 15% off your first order. Little Passports offers globally inspired, award-winning kits designed for curious kids to fuel their inner explorer. Whether building a solar-powered robot or creating a Spanish mosaic, kids ages 3 to 10 will love learning with Little Passports. Little Passports is offering new customers 20% off when you go to littlepassports.com AMR. With Trade Coffee, you get fresh roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. And Trade Coffee ships free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Right now, Trade Coffee is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping, when you go to drinktrade.com AMR. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training and racing and endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wassner Flynn. And Dimity, I'm so happy to say that I went back to the trails after my breaking my foot, as everybody's heard about by now. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't break any bones. I raced on Sunday a supposedly 10K trail run, which was actually like seven miles. Oh, that is and the worst. That I gotta I say, see, like yeah. yeah. Well, the, this is a a a, a, comp, a race new company that I guess the director is known for his extra miles. I always think like maybe he'll be off in the other direction because they're like, oh yeah, Andy's always off in his, in his mileage just because it's through the woods. I'm like, oh, maybe it'll be 5.9 instead of 6.2. And no, it was like 6.8, almost seven, you know, but whatever yeah. it was, it's, you're, it's fun. I, I can't complain. I can't. No, complain. I know it's hard to complain, but it is, yeah. but there is a mentality around. I mean, I remember I did a long, long time ago, a race, um, it was women for women international, right. It was this very cool, um, you know, uh, nonprofit that supports women, um, in Africa. I can't remember. I still have the shirt. I love the shirt. Uh-huh. And I, and I was like moved to like make a big donation that day, but don't ask me for specifics. But I remember that, <laughs> It was like two miles longer than advertised. And I was like, Dimity, like get out of your pathetic self complaining about this <laughs> as you're like trying to benefit, you know, impoverished women over, you know, in third world countries. Like, but it is, but but it's hard because when you think that like you're, okay, I'm going to be done at 6.2, especially someone like yourself, like you pace yourself to be done at 6.2, right? Well, I th- with trails, the beauty of it is that I could care less about my pace because- okay, I had to slow down. There was lots of mud. I did fall in the mud. So like, it didn't matter to me at all. My pace and my GPS is off anyway, but it was really off. And so I think it was like almost like a mile, a half a mile behind at the end. So, you know, I just enjoyed it because it was my first racing experience since I went down. Yeah. Um, And there's a long, you know, cold, hard winter. And then it's like, we, I thought this would be a spring like race, but it actually snowed the day before. So we were out there in like 20 degree weather and snow. So wow. winter's hanging on, wow. um, wow. but yeah, it was good. And, um, you know, it, it, it tracks all different types of runners than these road races. And, um, I never know really, you know, like as a runner, when I was really competitive, I always knew who was going to show up and I could like size up my competition this time around. I had no idea. So I just started and started really easy. And next thing I know, I was the first woman. And I was like, I have not won outright won a race quite a while. 
So, nice job, superstar. Yeah, but don't look at my pace. I mean, you would be wondering, like, why? How did she win a race with that no, pace? No, no, we don't. We don't yeah. talk about. We don't disparage our paces around AMR, Sarah. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Like you are um, there. That's that's great. Congratulations. That's got to feel really Thank good. You. Yeah, it it does feel good to just know that my body has healed and that I can still do this at forty three and. Um, I'm inspired by so many of the women in the AMR community who are out there like running every day at all different ages. And, you know, I'm, I'm just excited for what's to come. Nice. Nice. Well, you talked about it was snowing. It's spring there now. Right. So, um, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, allergies on this podcast. So, um, do you have allergies, Sarah? Yes, I do. Um, I didn't much as I was uh, as I was young as a kid. No, my sister Rebecca had the worst allergies, constantly sniffling, um, and I always felt really bad for her. And then, like later in life, I started developing the same thing, which we got from our dad. Our dad's allergic to pretty much everything, and unfortunately, I passed it on to at least three of my kids. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. So we have lots of allergies in our house. My husband also has bad allergies. He has asthma. Um, so I don't have asthma, thank goodness, but I definitely have a lot of um, things that trigger, you know, just sniffliness, coughing. I've kind of had like, you know, that persistent post-nasal drip cough that yeah. lasts throughout the entire spring and fall. Um, but I know people suffer so much more than I do. I, I have a, you know, I'm not that bad. How about you? I, I do not. I mean, knock on wood. Hopefully you can hear that. Um, I do not, and I never have. Um, but Grant, my husband, uh, does, and it is bad. And I, and again, like you just feel bad because you can just mm-hmm. see how miserable they are with the red nose and the runny eyes and the just everything. And so it, I'm excited about this podcast because I'm hoping that there's some things that um, I can share with him that you know, if he'll take a nice gentle suggestion from his loving wife, maybe we can. <laughs> mitigate them a tiny bit this year. So um, yeah, we've got a great guest. Yes. Her name is Dr. Susan Rochelle. She's a doctor. uh, Because we know seasonal allergies affect so many of us and at times can even derail our motivation or energy to run. We have asked Dr. Susan Rochelle to join us today to talk about all things seasonal allergies. Dr. Susan is an allergy and immunology specialist in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is certified by the American Board of Allergy and Immunology. With over three decades of experience, Dr. Susan has likely seen and treated it all, so we are very excited to have her on and to have her answer questions from our AMR community. So welcome, Dr. Susan. So glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, Dr. Susan, tell us a little bit about yourself. What kind of activities do you like to do outside? Um, so I am one of those people that is has difficulty with running. However, I am a walker. I have run a 5K before, and I'm one of those people that loves to hike. So I love being out of doors. I sometimes put my hands in the dirt and do some gardening. Um, so being outside is a real plus for me. Because I come from a family of a lot of allergies, we have certainly gone through where it went and what are the best activities to do and how to do that. And also uh, what medicines to take or other things, because there are other things, not just medications that one can take to help control allergies. So those are some of the things that I have long been influenced by and I have learned some of those things and tricks of the trade as well. And I'd be happy to share that with some of the listeners. Yeah, well, we have plenty of questions for you, but um, are you yourself an allergy sufferer? Yes, until I went on allergy shots. (laughs) 
So I have three sons and uh, two of my sons have food allergies. And um, one of my sons has atopic dermatitis, which is skin eczema. And um, all three of them have asthma and all three of us have allergies. All three of my sons, in fact, all five of us have been on allergy shots because we know allergies is a genetic condition. So not wow. everybody is impacted negatively by it, but many people who are allergy sufferers can be. Um, the other thing that we know about allergies is allergies can cause asthma and can also exacerbate or be a common trigger for asthma, uh, which is why it's something that I've dedicated my life to uh, in terms of not just helping my family, but also helping patients over the years. Yeah. Well, that's so funny that you, I mean, you're, you're pretty much answering the questions we have in line for you because I'm, was it your family history, Dr. Susan, that, that made you decide to focus on allergies and immunology or just your own personal interest or what, what got you well, into this truthfully, field? Well, truthfully, when I was going through training, when I was doing my residency, I honestly fell in love with immunology because immunology is such a complex con complex study of medicine. And there has been an immunologic explosion over the past 30 years. In fact, I was doing a grand rounds a couple of years ago and realized it had been 30 years ago that I looked at asthma. And at that time, when I was attending a lecture, they said asthma was the ABCs, which is the treatment paradigm, which is you treat with aminophilin, beta agonists, and corticosteroids. And what we learned at that time, and this was 30 years ago, is that asthma actually is a disease of inflammation. And since that time, now we have more tar targeted therapy to treat asthma. But the thing about allergies is we know allergies can cause asthma, and we know that allergies can also be triggered by asthma. Wow. Um, so it is, it is a huge condition, and it affects a significant number of people. Millions of people in the United States and in the world actually are impacted by allergies and by asthma. And the thing about asthma is asthma is incurable. It's life-threatening. And so if there is something that we can do to prevent the development of asthma, that is huge. And that has been outlined in the medical literature. In fact, there are some studies that suggest that there may be a 50% chance to prevent the development of asthma by taking allergen immunotherapy. And allergen immunotherapy is a method for um, immunomodulating or changing the immune system so someone doesn't respond innoc to innocuous substances or inappropriately respond to innocu innocuous substances like pollen from trees, grasses, and weeds, or dust mite, dog, cat, mold. Um, so there are things that we can do, which is the thing that really got me very interested in moving in the direction of allergy, asthma, and immunology. Mm. Well, I'm all ears. My husband and my son are both um, asthmatic. And so it's in my house, you know, I, I'm constantly worried about their allergies as are so many of our listeners who yes. suffer from the same thing. So now at the time, like, I guess today is the first day of spring. Am I right? <laughs> I think it's <laughs> right there. Um, it feels like winter here still, but, um, it's, you know, very topical because everything's plant uh, growing and blooming and we're out there running and feeling the impact of the environment. So exactly we right. actually, we, we threw out uh, a question for our listeners, um, just asking them for questions and we got a ton back for, for you. Um, these are mostly, you know, our mother runners here. So we're hoping that you can answer some of their questions. So let's sure. jump right in. We have a question <laughs> from Ingrid who asks, is it more advantageous to run in the morning or the evening when you suffer from seasonal allergies? So great question. And it really depends on a couple of things. So we're talking about during the season of, of 
allergens such as, so in, in this area, spring starts early. So we start seeing trees pollinate. Trees are usually the first pollen that will start pollinating at the beginning of the year. And for us, that means late February, early March. So trees in this area will pollinate March, April, May. Grasses will start pollinating in April. So there'll be an overlap in April and then May through September is when we have grass pollen. And then weeds usually don't start until the end of the um, the summer, so August, and it will pollinate until the first or second hard frost. So if we're talking about allergies, then you want to identify when the pollen count is the highest. And in different areas, it's going to be higher at different times. And the other thing is pollen is going to be different at different times. So typically, Weeds, for an example, it's a very lightweight pollen. Uh, that pollen count will be higher in the mornings where grasses and tree pollen will be higher later in the day. However, the best time then to exercise, especially outside, is going to be early in the morning or later in the evening. So you're not interfering with that season. Now, the other thing I should share with you is that cool weather, just cool weather can be a trigger for asthma. Um, so people who have asthma and allergies, they just need to be aware that cool, dry air is a trigger for, for asthma, especially exercise-induced asthma. And the other thing that we have discovered over the years is that windy conditions will also increase the pollen. So if it's particularly windy, it's not going to be a good time to be running outside. After a rain, um, in some cases, can be a good time, except that what we've discovered with rainfall is if there is inspissated pollen, meaning dry pollen that's on the ground, and then it rains, then that can actually cause that pollen to be dispersed into the air. So that can be an issue. So you really need to be careful when you're going to do it. Now, here's the other sneaky thing, is that we have learned that diesel particles, so particles from exhaust, diesel in particular, is very interesting because some of the pollen that we breathe in is so small, it's not respirable. We can't actually breathe it in. However, some of that pollen can piggyback onto the diesel particles. So we actually can breathe in those smaller pollen because it's piggybacked onto the diesel. So wow. you need to keep that and take that into consideration as well. If you are running in, a, in an area where there's a lot of traffic, it may be it may not be advantageous for you to run in that area for the pollutant factor because there's going to be a lot of pollutants, but also that pollen may piggyback onto that diesel particle so that you're breathing in not just the pollutant, but also the pollen. Wow. Wow. So, yes, you want to look at your area and see when the pollen is the highest. You want to look at it a couple of different times and also depending on the season. As I mentioned, spring spring is when we see tree and grass pollen and fall is when we see the weed pollen. So, again, you want to schedule your running around when the pollen is going to be the lowest pay attention to the windy climate and also pay attention to if there is a high traffic area where that pollen could piggyback onto the diesel particles Jeez. okay that's a lot to consider i like it i like it and as a reminder um dr susan is in tennessee so she's more in the you know Mid Southern region. Oh, yes, in the <laughs> South. So if you're in Minnesota, we're probably going to push that back a couple months, that, that That's schedule exactly that you right. talked about. Um, well, and right. you kind of talked about this briefly, but I, if you want to just clarify, because I think that um, 
you know, I am fortunate in that I don't have any allergy or asthma related issues. So um, Ingrid also asked, do seasonal allergies cause exercise induce asthma? And I know you touched well, on this. That's but- exactly right. Yeah. So when we talk about asthma, for an example, there are multiple triggers of asthma. And okay. one of the triggers of asthma is allergies. And that's trees, grasses, weeds, molds, dust, my dog, cat, cockroach. But there are other triggers. Exercise is a trigger of asthma. And reflux is a trigger. Infections is a trigger. So definitely exercise is a trigger for asthma. And we know that allergies can trigger asthma. And we know allergies can cause asthma. So the answer is absolutely yes. So we just need to be aware that exertional activity can definitely trigger asthma. And we know that allergies can trigger asthma. Therefore, allergies definitely can trigger exercise-induced bronchospasm. Uh, It's important to note that many, many people believe that they only have exercise-induced bronchospasm or exercise-induced asthma. And actually, the vast majority of people don't have just exercise-induced asthma. They actually have persistent asthma. And exercise is simply just one of the triggers. So it's important that people pay attention. And just a couple of little little tips for them is if somebody laughs really hard, it makes them cough, or if they get an upper respiratory infection, and every time they get an upper respiratory infection, it goes into their chest, or if they are exposed to allergens like trees, grasses, and weeds, again, um, and it causes them to have breathing issues outside of exercise, they may be experiencing persistent asthma and not just exercise-induced bronchospasm. And therefore they may need treatment, which will help get everything under control. There's actually data that shows if we aggressively control the upper respiratory symptoms, i.e. nasal sprays and other things to control allergies, it improves lung function and improves their symptoms, chest symptoms. So the two of those frequently go hand in hand, which is why we, as allergists, we will treat and, and true board certified allergists are also asthma experts. So all those things are because there's such a huge connection with them and and a huge overlap, one contributes to the other. Um, That's why if you're seeing an allergist, because some people, some, there are some providers out there, specialists out there that um, claim to be allergists, but if they don't treat asthma, then they're probably not a true allergist. Okay. Well, let's talk about medication since you sure. brought it up. Um, yes. Sarah S. asks, uh, she says she has allergy-induced asthma when the trees start pollinating in the spring and ragweed in the fall. She has mm-hmm. an emergency right. inhaler and she uses it when she feels like, um, she said, actually uses the example, there's a small child sitting on her sternum. So that's when she uses her inhaler. She wonders, is, is there such thing as too much inhaler use? Uh, she usually takes one to two puffs, three puffs is a really bad day, which her doctor has okayed but she's concerned about a standard amount to consider for weight and age. So, and, you know, Sarah, that is a real, another really good question because sometimes, again, she may be one of those people that actually has mild persistent asthma and exercise is simply a trigger because she actually is using quite a bit of her rescue medicine, her albuterol. It, it, there is such a thing as too much, but you'd have to take quite a bit for it to be too much. And the concern about it is that if a person has cardiovascular disease, what we know that albuterol can do, it increases one's heart rate. And so if a person has an arrhythmia, 
uh, it can increase it can increase the likelihood of them getting out of rhythm if they already have an have an arrhythmia. But typically, that is not what she is describing. Is not too much as long as there is an accurate diagnosis. The other thing that I should mention is there is a chemical. There is a medication called Montelukast or Singular, which is a very common medication. And several years ago, it got an indication for exercise-induced bronchospasm or exercise-induced asthma. And it's a medicine you can take two hours before exercise, or you can take it every day. So if she is an avid exercise enthusiast. So if she exercises every day, for an example, or six days a week, it may be prudent for her to be on a medicine like Singular or Montelukast, which is a generic formulation, um, instead of using her rescue inhaler so frequently. No, I applaud her for using her rescue inhaler. The other thing is to try and identify if there's other triggers requiring her to use it. And yes, taking two puffs prior to exertional activity, not waiting till she's having symptoms, but taking it two puffs 15 to 30 minutes before she exercises is ideal. And yes, there is such a thing as taking too much, but she would have to take quite a bit because one of the things we recommend is that if a person uses their rescue inhaler, they, they take two puffs every four to six hours as needed to get their breathing under control if they're having an asthma exacerbation. So you can see that's quite a bit of albuterol in a day and people typically do not run into trouble with that. One of the big concerns is that um, if a person actually is taking a lot of albuterol, especially in a nebulized form, um, it can actually cause an abnormality with their electrolytes, particularly their, um, their potassium level. So that would be the concern, but not the doses that she's taking it in. But she needs to be sure and talk to her doctor and see if she is a candidate for that Montelukast. Now, some people don't want to take medicines every day and she doesn't have to, but that may prevent her from needing to take that albuterol so frequently. Okay. That's a great, great recommendation. Well, and so let's shift back to allergies, like seasonal allergies, like you just know that you get mm -hmm. hit in the spring. Is there a certain kind of over-the-counter medication you recommend, or is that something you have to go see your doctor with first? Like, how do you, how do you so kind of mitigate it? Another great question. And yes, because of several medications that previously were prescription only now are available over the counter. Um, and, I, and I've got a couple of caveats that I'd like to share, but the single most effective medication for allergic rhinitis or for allergies is going to be a nasal steroid. Okay. And so there are multiple nasal steroids that are now available over the counter. So a couple of things, there is one that's called budesonide. The trade name is Rhinocort. And the reason why I bring that one up is because it is the only category B rating for a nasal steroid. And so that is important for women who are childbearing or women who are pregnant. So what that means is that medication is safe to take during pregnancy. Wow. So it's Rhinocort category B rating. Now, they're the, probably the most common one is going to be Flonase or Fluticasone. So Fluticasone is also a very common medication that is over the counter. And now, and also there is a medicine called Nasacort. And Nasacort, which is trimcinolone, is another medicine that is over the counter that are, these are all steroid medications that go into the nose. Now, the key thing that people need to be aware of is how to use them. So the key thing that we tell folks is not to stick the medication straight up their nose because there is Kieselbox plexus of blood vessels. So if you stick that nozzle straight up the nose, then you have increased the risk for having a nose bleed. So what you wanna do is instruct people, um, family members in particular, if they're gonna put it up their nose, they need to point it away from the midline. So they stick it up the nose and then point it toward the ear on that side um, and do the same thing on the other side. So they stick the, the, nasal, the nozzle up their nose and point it to the ear on that side. And that will help minimize nose blades. 
Now, the other thing that I want to mention is there are some other medications that are over the counter. One of those is Afrin. And Afrin is an extremely effective medicine, but it is a nasal decongestant. And the problem with that medication, and it has other names, so the chemical in that is oxymetazolone or neosinephrine. Um, some of the, the brand names are Sinex or uh, Four-Way, or Afrin is the most common one. Those medicines can be addictive. So a person can develop what we call a rebound reaction. If they use it more than three to five days in a row, then they can actually cause the nose to swell and then they require more of that medication to accomplish the initial goal, which was to get rid of the swelling in their nose. Huh. So it's important to know which nasal sprays one should be using. So and the other thing to mention is with these nasal sprays, most of them require at least 14 days of use to be optimized by the body. So if you're having symptoms, uh, you're a little bit behind the eight ball. So what you wanna try and do, especially if you can predict and most of the time you can, you can see when the pollen count is starting to go up, start those medicines at that time. Because again, it's gonna take 14 days for that nasal spray to be optimized by the body. Now that's a little bit different than antihistamines. So now there are plenty of antihistamines over the counter. Uh, Loratadine, which uh, the trade name is Claritin, there's fexofenadine, the trade name is Allegra. There is cetirizine, the trade name is Zyrtec. Uh, and Zizol, levocetirizine is the chemical for Zizol. All of those medications, those are all second generation antihistamines. And all of those medications are currently available over the counter. Um, just a little cue for people, a little tip is that the single most, the single least expensive antihistamine that you can get is cetirizine if you get it at like a Sam's Club or a Costco in our area. And I think it's true for all the Costco's and Sam's Club. It costs about $20 for 400 tablets. So that's more than a year's supply of that medication. So we frequently will encourage people to use those medications. The other thing I should mention is that all the antihistamines, all antihistamines are sedating. They have a certain amount of sedation associated with them. So you want to be careful if you're using any of those. Um, Zyrtec of the second generation antihistamines is the most sedating. It's 13% sedating, where all the other ones are less than 5% sedating. So oh, that's so important just, to note. Just to clarify, so you just mean they, they make you sleepy, right? I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, they can yeah. make uh, you sleepy. So um, as far as timing goes, so let's say, you know, you, we have runners here who want to feel, op, you know, optimize their energy. Uh, so when should they be taking these sedating antihistamines then? Is it so that's a great question. So if the medication lasts 24 hours and all the medications that I mentioned should be 24 hour medications, then the ideal time to take them uh, for Zyrtec, for an example, the sedation is going to kick in six hours after you take it. So the best time to take it is around dinner time. So then the heaviest sedation will hit while they're sleeping. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And as long as it lasts for 24 hours, then they'll have the control throughout the next day as well. So that is going to be an ideal time to take that. Know that there are some antihistamines that you may not even feel the sedative effects or you, it may not make you feel sleepy. Um, and again, those are again, the second generation antihistamines. So those can be taken an hour or so before a person needs the relief because most of those medicines will kick in at least to a certain percentage within the first hour. Um, the other thing that I wanna mention is common 
antihistamines. So probably the most common antihistamine is going to be diphenhydramine, which is also Benadryl. And that medicine can be up to 50% sedating. And that medicine is not an all day medicine. It usually is dosed um, every six hours. So that would not be an ideal medicine for people to take. And many of the -the over-the-counter medicines, unless you talk to the pharmacist, are uh, first-generation antihistamines. And all the first-generation antihistamines have uh, increased sedation rates, meaning that they'll make you sleepy. So the second generations are definitely preferred. And of those, it's going to be the ones that are less sedating. So can we back up for one second? I'm just curious, like, so I, I, again, like this is not, I don't speak this language, which I'm grateful to not have to have to, but if someone's listening to this and is maybe having spring allergies for the first time, the difference between like a nasal steroid and an antihistamine, why would you pick one over the other? So that is again, an excellent question. And this, the single most effective medication for allergies is going to be the nasal steroid. And that is because it downregulates multiple inflammatory mediators where antihistamines will block histamine receptors. And as far as we know, there are three different histamine receptors, three different types of histamine receptors, and it will block histamine one receptors. So it will help with symptoms like if you're running. So if you have a runny nose, for an example, drainage in the back of the throat, if you have itching of your ears, eyes, mouth, and nose, if you're sneezing, antihistamines are a good choice. On the other hand, if you're looking for the single most effective treatment, the nasal spray is going to be superior, except that, as I mentioned earlier, it takes a little bit longer to kick in, but it's more effective because it downregulates multiple inflammatory mediators, where again, antihistamines just block the histamine one receptor. So those nasal sprays will help decrease swelling in the nose, will also help dry things up, Um, by decreasing itching of the ears, eyes, mouth, and nose, sneezing, post-nasal drainage. So in terms of the most effective treatment, it's going to be that nasal steroid. Okay. But then, so then then why do we have, and this is probably a dumb question, but why do we have nasal decongestions like like Afrin or um, like the uh, Sinex, some things that you said that were, that had a little bit of an addictive quality Great to it. Great question. Is, so, yeah. so they have a utility, but you're right. They can be a problem. So if someone has a severe nosebleed, for an example, because that medicine is a nasal decongestant. So it'll actually decrease the swelling of the, not so much the swelling, but the congestion of blood vessels. So if someone has a severe nosebleed, guess what? They can squirt that afrin up their nose and it will help control that nosebleed. If someone has severe congestion because they have a cold, an upper respiratory viral infection, and they don't need to take something every day, they just need to take something for a couple of days, then that that nasal decongestant is perfect for something like that. But unfortunately, what happens is a person says, oh my gosh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And then they start using it every day. And then pretty soon a month goes by, two months goes by, a year goes by, I had one patient that had been on a nasal decongestant, decongestant for 50 years, 50 oh, years. 50. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't even know they'd been around years. for five years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, that's exactly. That's a problem. Um, so, so there is a utility for that medication, um, but it's very specific circumstances. Okay. Um, I wanted to circle back. You mentioned that these medications, some of them dry you out. Um, does that impact your hydration at all? So um, any medicine that is drying and antihistamines, again, have drying properties. So they definitely can um, dry you out and make you feel like you are dehydrated because it's drying you out. We have to be very careful if we're prescribing antihistamines, particularly in uh, males, 
um, just because it can cause prostate issues as well. So we just need to be aware of that. But yeah, so we tell people just doing what you're doing, Sarah, drinking lots of water, and we should be drinking. I'm thirsty just thinking shows, about it. Yeah, <laughs> but what the literature shows is we should be drinking 50 to 65% of our body weight in fluid ounces um, anyways. So it is a great thing to do, but you're right. If you're taking any medicines that are somewhat drying, then you're going to have to increase the amount that you drink anyways. And again, I, I prefer healthy water if you're going to be drinking something. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. When was the last time you were doing something that was so fun you lost track of time? When you're a kid, the right activity can help you find a completely new world to lose yourself in. Help your child find that fun with little passports. I'm bored. Do your kids say it too? Kids are always searching for something new to do. And we parents are always searching for something that kids will love that will expand their horizons while they play. With Little Passports, you'll have the best of both worlds. Little Passports offers globally inspired, award-winning kits designed for curious kids to fuel their inner explorer. Each month, Little Passports will send a kit packed with play-based activities, interactive crafts, puzzles, games, and stories to help kids have fun while they learn about the world around them. My kids love opening up the box when it arrives at the door. It's a treasure trove full of adventure, fun, and activity. And the best part? They are occupied for hours, which means I get a few hours of me time. You can choose month-to-month, six-month, or 12-month subscriptions, whichever is right for you, and you can stop at any time. When Little Passports arrives, you'll be ready to share the world with your little explorers. For listeners of the show, Little Passports is offering new customers 20% off when you go to littlepassports.com slash AMR. That's 20% off when you go to littlepassports.com slash AMR. Hey, are you like me with hundreds of photos on your phone that you never seem to have the time to do anything with? Well, I have to tell you about an amazing new service I found called FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it super easy and affordable to find your favorite things from art prints and posters to the travel photos sitting on your phone. With Mother's Day right around the corner, FrameBridge also makes the perfect gift. In fact, some gifts ship the next day. Here's how it works. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frames and styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at Framebridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. And the best part? Prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, listeners get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use this code AMR. This makes gift shopping so easy. I just pick out one of my favorite photos, upload, choose the best frame, and voila, shopping done. Could it be any easier for Mother's Day? Get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code AMR to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code AMR. Koshal is here, just sitting around, sipping a cup of delicious dark roast from the Sparrows Coffee in Michigan, selected by my favorite new obsession, Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best-tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. And how do these coffees taste? Amazing. But don't just take it from me. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship to you every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. So how does Trade work? 
Well, you take a quick quiz that helps Trade better understand your coffee preferences. They take all of your preferences and match you with something they're sure you'll love. In fact, Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send a brand new bag for free. I've enjoyed Trade Coffee so much, I got my husband a surprise subscription. Now we can both start our day with a cup of coffee I know we'll both love. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash AMR. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash AMR and let Trade find a coffee you'll love too. That's drinktrade.com slash AMR for $30 off. And so we talked a little bit about um, too much, um, or, you know, what, what the limits are of, of an inhaler. Um, and Denise A. was asking, should you worry about doubling up on an allergy and sinus medicine to run outside? Again, she's asking, when is when is it too much? Like, at what point right. do you say, like, I need to either head inside or think of an alternative strategy? And excellent question. So if her allergy symptoms are starting to trigger chest symptoms, and that needs to be evaluated first and foremost, okay. and then her choosing the right activity at the right time. So as a runner, she's going to have to choose her activity. So it may not be because I am a huge advocate for exercise. Exercise is great because of endorphin release. It makes us feel good. I'm a big fan of being outside because we know that 20 minutes of, of sunlight in the day can help with our vitamin D, but also with our, our general health. So I'm a big fan of exercise. So I want people to exercise, um, but we need to choose our activity wisely and at the right time. Yep. So having said that, if she's doing all those things, is it, is there so much, is there such a thing as too much uh, medication? So, so there's a couple of answers to that. One is, are we talking about somebody's health? Now I will tell you that with the second generation antihistamines, if someone has a condition that we call hives and the medical term is urticaria, the recommendation is that we quadruple, so four times the dose of uh, the antihistamine and it's still safe. So it is medically safe for people to take four times the dose of an antihistamine. So in terms of safety, that's not an issue. In terms of sedation, so the higher, uh, the increased amount of the second generation antihistamines that we take, particularly the cetirizine, it can make us sleepy. And um, then we may not be able to perform as well. So we have to look at personal adverse reactions. In other words, uh, how are those medications affecting their performance? And particularly if a person is preparing for a race, if we're just doing leisure running, that's one thing. But if we're preparing for a race, it may not be in that person's best interest to double up or quadruple their antihistamine. But the beauty, again, of being on a nasal spray is that the nasal steroids do not cause sedation. So that may be a great option for her so we can try and decrease the amount of antihistamine that she takes. So um, if you're, don't mind, we're going to switch gears a little to alternative therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So Stephanie N asked if there's any essential oils or herbal herbal therapies that help with spring allergies? Yes. So there are several actually. So uh, doTERRA is uh, one of those brands of essential oils. And there are several, a young, not young life. Oh. I, know what you're, I know what you're talking about. Young something. I, I yeah, I'm I'll sorry. find it. It's okay. <laughs> right, um, so yeah, so they sometimes will have a proprietary blend of different antihistamine-like properties in their essential oils. Um, so we know that the essential oils, lemon, eucalyptus, lavender, 
and peppermint also have antihistamine-like properties. So those medicines are, those essential oils rather, are going to be, can be quite effective. Um, but again, some of these companies that manufacture essential oils will have a proprietary blend. So that is going to be also um, something that's helpful. In fact, what we had to do, because we see a number of patients who do take and use essential oils in preparation for skin testing, we had to tell them not to use those in preparation for skin testing because it could actually prevent a positive result from occurring um, because of using those essential oils. Now, the other thing I should mention is there are two products that are considered supplements. And um, one is butter burr and the other one is quercetin. And people pronounce it different ways, but I'm gonna spell it for you. It's Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. And if you look at some of the health food stores and some of the nutritional stores, they may have products and it may be proprietary, but if they have those ingredients in it, they also have antihistamine-like properties. So those can also be very effective for people. Now, the other thing I should mention is there are some remedies you have at home. And one of those remedies is going to be normal saline. Normal saline is fantastic for cleaning out the nasal passages. So I am a big fan of teaching people and having them do nasal rinses on a regular basis, um, especially after they've been exposed. But I frequently will tell them to do it at least once a day. But if they have an increase in symptoms, do it twice a day. So you take your salt and they sell these bottles over the counter. And then they also sell salt packets. And the, many of these bottles will have a fill, a water fill line on them. So it tells you exactly how much water to put in them. And then you add your salt packet first, and then you add warm water. It's important to note the water, if you boil the water, it should be boiled for five minutes. Then you wait for it to cool down before you squirt up your nose or you can use distilled water. Um, either one of those, we recommend against using tap water um, just because of some of the ingredients in the tap water. So we want something that is a little more sterile, but not actually sterilized. Um, so boiling the water or using distilled water and adding the salt to it, then you can use that up the nose. There are several different, there are things, or devices called neti pots and other things. Um, uh, the truth is that there, the technique that I prefer is the one where you turn your head to the side. So your ear is actually, um, if you will, uh, parallel to the floor. And then, so I'm going to show you ladies, but people won't be able to see that. You turn yeah. your head, you put your head on some towels, and then in the inferior side, you gently squeeze that salt water into their nasal passages, allow it to come out on the same side. And it's a little bit easier for people to do. The neti pot is where you squirt it up one side, it comes out the other. And people don't like that. I, you know, I have patients tell me that they feel like they're waterboarding, you know, that yes, Chinese yeah, torture that, technique. Yes. Torture I've always been afraid technique. to try it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. For that exactly. reason. Like, exactly. Yeah. So this is much more comfortable. Again, you turn your head on the side, you gently squeeze that warm water. It's up one side, it comes out the same side and it just makes it a whole lot easier and less difficult for people to do. And little kids will do it as well. So like that's it. something that's right over the counter that not even over the counter, that's at home that you can. It's super easy. That. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it is very, very simple. And the other thing I should mention is that there are other medications that people can use. If the nose is very, very stuffy, people can use decongestants and Sudafed is a common decongestant. Sudafedrin is a chemical in Sudafed. 
but we have to be careful with Sudafed or those products because they can increase our blood pressure, can curb our appetite, and some people would like that, but it's not great for kids, and it can also cause insomnia, so it can interrupt your sleep, which we know getting at least seven hours sleep is extremely important for the healing process. So um, that's the other thing that we just need to be aware of when it comes to taking medications. All right. All right. Yeah. And I think we should mention too, for anybody who's listening and is very competitive, there are certain um, medications that are banned substances. And I that's believe right. that Sudafed might be on that list. So just always check the world anti-doping agency's banned drug list before you take anything, because we've seen great suggestion that, you know, banned for taking certain things that they weren't aware of um, yeah. that were on the, the that list. Exactly. Um, And the other thing I should mention while we're thinking about it, um, these two products are not over the counter, but there are some antihistamines that are used for the nose. So they're just antihistamines or sprays that go up the nose. They're used as needed. So they kick in very quickly. It doesn't take the 14 days. It just takes several minutes before they they kick in. And one is um, antihistamines. And then there's another one that's called the group is anticholinergics. And they are designed to do the same thing, dry things out. Um, slow down post-nasal drainage, as well as rhinorrhea, which is a runny nose. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm just curious. I have two questions for you. Um, first, is, are there any foods that help or is that like, is that one, one, uh, one sneeze too far? <laughs> you know, um, that is a good, did you say sneeze? I said, I said, are there any foods that help you? Or is that, I meant I was trying to be really clever, but I mean, is that too out there? Like, can foods help you with allergies or stuff that like reduces inflammation or anything? I mean, have you ever yeah, had? Yeah, that's a great question. And so indirectly, yes, uh, okay. but not, it's not mainstream medicine. And, and I will tell you that I am one of those people that is a big fan of removing anti-inflammatory foods from your diet and not, not specifically for allergies, but just for general health. Sure. So um, I'm one of those people that believes that we need to be eliminating sugar and processed foods from our diet because those things are inflammatory and uh, they can cause problems, including decreasing our performance, no matter what we're doing, whether it's something cognitive, we're doing executive functioning or we're exerting, we're, we're competing physically, athletically. Um, so yes, yeah, so I believe that those foods can be unhealthy for us. Is there a specific food that will help with allergies? The answer is no. Okay. And um, so, and, and I have struggled with something because I have a lot of patients that tell me that um, milk products, for an example, are mucus producing. So the truth is, if you read the medical literature, it will tell you that that is not true. Um, and there's some literature that sec- suggests that a milk will actually thicken your secretions. Therefore, it's problematic because it thickens those secretions, making it more difficult to expectorate or to remove them. So that's the other um, concern regarding that. Um, But in terms of there is no specific food that will help with allergies, but eating healthy in general will help with your general well-being. Okay, nice, nice. Um, Okay, so quick, uh, so last last couple of questions. We're all used to wearing masks now and coming off again, but I'm curious, well, we're running with a mask outside. Will that be helpful or is that against allergies or is that like uh, too much? So great question again. And again, patients will tell me that they can't breathe with a mask on. Um, so for those folks, especially if they're sucking wind, you know, because they're, they're exerting themselves, that may be difficult for them to be able to wear a mask. On the other hand, filtering, because a mask is a filter. Yeah. So filtering the allergens, the diesel, the pollutants, the irritants, those things that can be problematic for some people, um, it is advantageous. 
but if it's if it's causing a problem and they're not able to run because they're wearing a mask, then obviously not wearing the mask and then choosing the activity wisely and not again going down busy streets where there's a lot of traffic and choosing the time of the day where the pollen is the lowest is going to be the ideal strategy. Mm-hmm. So I just have one more question for you. If you are really not feeling well, when is it like what's what's a good marker for like just take it easy? Um, Because, you know, I always think if I have allergies, I'm not sick. Like I can power through this, right? It's just allergies. But is there really a a benefit to just laying low when you're really suffering from your allergies? Yes. And especially if it's because allergies we know can also cause recurrent sinus infections. So, and that will put you down because if you've got a sinus infection, then you need to be on antibiotics or you need to be on more medications, that can be a problem. So yes, I think that the key thing is listening to your body. And also you can do an experiment. You can do your own experiment and see how are you performing when you're having symptoms. And if your performance is significantly worse, then you need to keep that, take that into consideration. On the other hand, you need to have a healthy balance because I know people that, um, really are not fans of exercising, but I think I'm talking to a group of women who are very motivated. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it's true for anything that you need to listen to your body. And if you're having, and I I am a big fan of mental health days, if you are emotionally wrung out and exercise makes you feel better, yeah, then put your your jogging shoes on and go run. Um, On the other hand, if you are just completely spent, you have no energy, you just, and exercise is not gonna do it for you, you know what, hire a babysitter, see if someone can come in and cover for you for even for a couple of hours, even if you just sit in the car for two hours and chill. But, but <laughs> mental health is extremely important. So I cannot uh, overemphasize that. And, and it's no, there's nothing wrong with taking a day off. So um, mamas, give yourself a break when it comes to that, because we need to be in balance with our body and, and our entire family situation. On the other hand, you know, if I know that if I don't exercise, I am not the most pleasant person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's extremely important that we do exercise because it does make us feel better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it is also important that we also have some downtime, that we have time to recharge our batteries and be able to chill. And that's why I think it's important that, especially as a family, that I know that what we did in our neighborhood, there were a lot of kids because we lived in a neighborhood that sometimes we would have like a mama's helper come over. Although my dad, my husband was home full time. So we had super dad at home at our house, Um, but a mama's helper that came over so he could get some of his stuff done. So I think that that um, mamas need to give themselves a little bit of grace there and allow them to have a down day, a chill day where they just, even if they do nothing, remove that guilt because that's important for our mental health. And then guess what? We're better mamas. If we take that time out for ourselves, then we're better mamas. So I think that's extremely important as well. Oh my gosh, Dr. Susan, you are a fountain of knowledge. Thank you so much. I mean, seriously, like I think anybody who uh, suffers, first of all, is like, oh my gosh, I've got so many new ideas from this. Oh, and I just, and I love that you, you hit everything. You hit every on everything from like mental health to sugar to nasal steroids to every, I mean, you're, you're just, thank you so much. I mean, really, um, this has been a great episode and one that I think people will return to again and again, because it hits us every year. Right. <laughs> so. Yes. Right. And, uh, ladies, I am a huge fan of education. So if you have other topics, whether it is issues with, I'm also a breast cancer survivor. 
which oh, is wow. part of my bend wow. with, you know, looking at things alternatively. Um, but if you have questions about urticaria, which is red raised itchy bumps that 20% of the general population suffers with, or food allergies or asthma, I'd be happy to um, do another podcast. Oh, you're great. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad, Sarah. Thank you so much for finding Dr. Susan Notes. It's great. So, yeah, it's so nice to talk care. to you all. Okay, bye, ladies.